So again, it's Paul that writes the book of Galatians, um, he, as he does so many of the New Testament books. Um, and the Galatians, um, believe it or not, come from our neck of the woods. Um, the people in Galatians were called the Galatians because it was a kind of derivative of the word for sort of Gallic. Um, they were Celtic invaders um, from sort of about the 300 BC time. So people would come from sort of the France, Scotland, Ireland, all that kind of Celtic area um, had gone and invaded. Uh, and then the Romans had come in after them and reinvaded again, but a lot of those people were left behind. So that's why they were called um, the Galatians. And Paul is writing this letter um, to them because they're in a bit of a tense situation. And when Paul first went to the church in Galatia, um, he told them about Jesus and lots of people um, came to faith. They came to know Jesus. A lot of them were from a Jewish background and a lot of them were from the sort of Greek background. So there was two cultures that he was kind of mashed together um, into one sort of culture together um, and they were trying to follow Jesus together but a lot of tension had come up. Some of the Jewish followers were telling the, the new believers from the Greek background that they had to follow all the rules of Jewish culture and that that was the important thing and that the law had to be upheld or they would never go to heaven but Paul had told them before that that wasn't the case so there was a bit of confusion, a bit of tension, a few arguments round about it. And Paul's really writing this letter just to clarify that it's faith in Jesus that's the important thing, that putting our faith in Jesus is the thing that sets us free, that gives us our salvation. And he's making that really clear at the start here. So we're going to start in Galatians chapter 1, and it's verse 1 to 5. It should come up on the screen. And it says this, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I feel a wee bit sorry for the, the Galatian church um, because in most of the other letters that Paul writes, um, he starts them by saying, hi, it's Paul, um, how are you doing? Really thankful for you guys. You're so good at doing this and I'm just really thankful. I'm always telling everyone else about how amazing you are. And then he goes in and starts getting into the sort of crux of the letter. But with the Galatians, he pretty much says, hi, right. Let's get this sorted straight away. No sort of thankfulness or anything like that. So there's obviously something going on in the churches that Paul wants to correct quickly. Um, he gets right to the nitty gritty of it. Um, when we got given this passage to speak on, um, I was a wee bit worried because usually we get a big chunk of a passage and this one was five verses. And I was really worried about what are you going to say about five verses where Paul pretty much just says, hello. And that's pretty much what he says. And I was panicking. But actually, I really enjoyed getting into the, 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 the depth of it. And this week, God's just been really speaking to me about how sometimes just words in the Bible carry massive importance. Not even verses, not even chapters, but sometimes just the words that he uses when you delve into them and you look at the context and, and what he's saying about it can, can bring out amazing stuff. So I just want to challenge us as well today like about how we're reading the Bible as well. Let's not just skim read every day just to tick a box and say we've done it, but just really pull apart some passages sometimes. Um, so Paul's made it very clear um, that no matter what else is going on around that faith in Jesus is the crux of what he's saying here he says in, in chapter 1 verse 1 he says Paul an apostle sent not from men nor by a man but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and then in verse 3 he says grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins he's making it very clear 
that it's faith in Jesus that's the important thing. He wants to point people immediately back to Jesus. He wants to gather their attention straight away. He doesn't say, I'm thankful for you. He doesn't say any of that stuff. He immediately says, this is Jesus. Jesus who gave his life for you, and then Jesus who was risen back from the grave, who was resurrected. These are the important things that I want you to hear in this first couple of passages here. And that's the truth that will set you free. And what, what it was like for Paul, he, he was trying to build a church in a place where there was tension. He was trying to build up the church in a place where there was two different cultures coming together. If you imagine, it would be kind of like going to Northern Ireland um, in the 60s or 70s or at any other subsequent point when the troubles have flared up in between then and saying to the Catholic community and the Protestant community, I'm going to build this building and we are all going to live in it together. We're going to live in the one place and it's going to be brilliant. It doesn't matter what religion you are, what race you are, where you've come from, where you stay. We are all going to live in this building together. And then he builds the foundations for the building and then he hands the plans over to them and says, you'll build this together now. You build this building and finish it. And then he heads off. It's called away to another part of the world. And it would be as if he hears a couple of months later that some new builders have come in and they've changed the design of the building. And actually, instead of being one building together, they've built a building that has two doors, one for Catholics and one for Protestants. And a building that has two bathrooms, one for Catholics and one for Protestants. And one that has two meeting rooms and two of everything and that nobody mingles. And some people would have been delighted about that because that's the way it had always been and they were used to that. And then other people were questioning it and saying, actually... Paul said to us to do it this way. Why are you guys telling us to do it another way? At which point the new builders were saying, you know, we've got the authority. Paul, we don't really know where he came from. We don't know if he's actually an official sort of voice for God. Actually, we're just going to do it this way because we've heard from the real authorities that this is the way to do it. And it would have been like that for Paul as he tried to build up the church in Galatia. People have lost sight of the real truth that Jesus is the center of everything. People have lost sight that putting Jesus at the center is the most important thing. That the law and other stuff, it's not to be ignored, but it's not the most important thing. It's not the be-all and end-all. I wonder if you've ever been in a situation of you, where you've lost sight of what was important, where you got so caught up in an emotion or a feeling or a reaction that you kind of lose sight of the important thing and get totally swept up in something entirely different. It usually leaves you looking a little bit like an idiot. Um, I, um, as you all probably know by now, I'm a massive football fan. Um, and in my old church in Glasgow, we didn't have a football team when I was at university. So I made it my mission um, to create a football team for our church. And what that meant I did was that I brought some people out of retirement who probably shouldn't have been brought out of retirement um, and I promoted some of our youth players who probably weren't quite ready to be promoted into full-on football and eventually I cobbled together a sort of 11-a-side football team and we played our first match um, and it was against Glasgow University's Christian Union and it was lovely we had a nice pre-match everyone was chatting to each other we shook hands we prayed together before we started I was like this is brilliant Christian football is really nice like this is a new experience for me Within about five minutes, one of their guys, now obviously um, I have a hazy sort of memory of this, I assume he was about seven foot nine, um, <laughs> crashed into one of our younger guys who I think was about four foot two um, and, and totally wiped him out and I was very angry about the fact that this had happened um, and so I started sort of remonstrating and saying that this wasn't acceptable, um, got a bit carried away. One of our other guys came along and joined alongside me, one of our young guys, started swearing at the referee, got himself sent off. Um, I thought this ending off was ridiculous, so I started arguing back with the referee more, got myself booked um, for telling the referee was an idiot. Um, and this was a guy who'd given up his time for free to come and referee this match. 
just completely lost sight of what was important in, in, a, in a matter of seconds um, because I got so caught up in it. I had a great chance to show some of our young guys what it's like to play football in a good way, in a way that Jesus is at the centre of it. Um, I think we actually even sneaked somebody back on the park when the ref wasn't looking to make up for the sending off because we disagreed with it so much. The point was, I totally lost sight of what was important in that moment. I had a great chance to show some of our young guys um, how, how you can play football in a way that is honouring and that builds people up, um, but I totally missed it. And that's what's happening here for the, the new followers in Galatia and for the, the Jewish converts in Galatia. They lost sight of what was important. They started bringing back into the conversation about the law and how you have to do things and you have to follow things and they have to make it work in a certain way before you'll be accepted. When actually what Jesus said and what Paul said was that faith in Jesus, believing in the Father is the most important thing. That's the thing that saves us. That's what sets us free. And it's not just in this chapter that we hear that in Hebrews, in chapter 11, verse 6, it says this, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek them. Then again, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. And then finally, in John chapter 6, verse 47, Jesus says this, Truly, Truly I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Over and over again, we're told that faith in Jesus is a thing that sets us free. Faith in Jesus is what gives us eternal life. What we never hear Jesus saying in the Bible is this. If you go to church and if you act in a way that is positive all the time, if you behave yourself, if you um, read the right material, if you watch the right TV programs, if you um, always act honorably and kindly in everything you do, then you will get into heaven. He doesn't say that. He says believing in him gets you into heaven. And we have to be careful not to disregard the law that was given by Moses because that is important too. And Paul sometimes gets a little bit gung-ho in his following of Jesus and kind of forgets the importance of the law as well. It was there to make sure that people were living well, but it wasn't the thing that got them into heaven. And so don't disregard the law, but also don't sell out everything else to make sure you're following it. It's following Jesus and faith in him that's the most important thing. And so I guess the challenge for us is how do we put Jesus back at the center of everything we do? How do we make sure that faith in Jesus is the thing that we are following more than anything else? That's the thing that we put at the center of what we do. Because realistically, it doesn't matter what exam marks we get. It doesn't matter how many times we get promoted in our job. It doesn't matter whether we're in um, the best relationship that we can be. Because all of those things become empty pursuits of happiness without Jesus and faith in Jesus at the center of all that we do. It just feels like you're getting to the top of a mountain and there's nothing there. And you get to the top of the next one and there's nothing there. But when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, that is our everything. That's the thing that sets us free. That's the thing that gives us eternal life is faith in Jesus. So an encouragement to put him at the center of everything we are this morning. He is the center and we have to put our faith in him. Secondly, we are rescued for a purpose. As we read in this passage, we move on um, quite quickly to Paul's second point of business. And he says that we are rescued by Jesus that he rescued us. 
And the world that Paul was living in um, would have been a bit of a crazy um, world at the time. There was lots of wars happening, which felt like they weren't really happening for any reason other than I want your land, you want mine. Um, there was slavery was a very widely accepted thing in biblical times. It was just the done thing. Everyone had slaves. Prostitution was a big thing as well that was totally just accepted. There was loads of stuff going on. I was reading about Roman emperors and the powers that they had. Um, and one of the powers that Roman emperors had was that they could command people to kill themselves. If they didn't like the governor they had in a city, they would just send them a letter saying, thank you for your service. You're no longer required. Please just kill yourself. And that would be what they did. It was a mad world that they lived in. And apparently this world that we live in now is a lot more civilized um, and a lot more um, sort of organized than what it was then. But you just have to watch the news on a weekly basis to realize that there's still a lot of evil things that happen in our world. And there's still a lot of horrible and disgusting things that happen in our world. If you've been watching the news this week, you would have seen that 17 people's lives have been taken in France this week in, in acts of terrorism. Um, you would see that across the world um, that there's estimated to be 30 million people in our planet who still live in slavery today and that the average cost of the life of a slave is $90. That means anytime somebody pays for the life of a slave, on average they're paying $90 for that person's life. That's the value on that person's life is $90. Um, across the world, um, people who are involved in human trafficking generate an, av uh, generate an average yearly profit of $32 billion from human trafficking. Um, and, and it's estimated that over 17,000 Iraqi civilians have been killed by ISIS militants in this last year um, of 2014. The world that we live in is a scary place and it can be an evil place and it can sometimes feel hopeless. People can be angry, vengeful, deceitful, greedy and corrupt. But Paul says this, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. We've been rescued because of what Jesus did for us. He gave his life on the cross so that we could have our lives back what that means, though, is not that we suddenly become invisible to evil things and evil people. It doesn't mean that bad things will never happen to us again. That's not what Jesus is saying. In fact, when you become a Christian and you give your life to him, the chances are you'll probably end up in more dangerous situations than you would have before you were a Christian because God calls us into the deepest, darkest places to share his good news. I cannot get these pages separated. I'm going to go two hands on it. Someone help me. <laughs> I cut my nails. It's the worst, worst decision ever. Uh, this one has to go. That one's staying. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Sorry, just uh, a wee insight into my life there. Um, as we centre our lives more and more on Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us, what it means is that we then have the power to be evil thinking and evil doing in our own lives. It means that darkness doesn't hold um, power over our lives anymore because when Jesus died on the cross, he had the victory over sin, but he also had the victory over death as well. So we don't have to fear sin and we don't have to fear death anymore because of what Jesus did for us. And what that means is that we can bring light and peace and kindness and love to the darkest situations and to the people who are struggling the most in our world. We've been given this mission, this rescue plan to bring light and love to those people. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard the amazing story of, of a girl called Amy Beale. 
Um, Amy Beale was an American student, um, and she went over to South Africa in the 90s um, to join and be part of the, the anti-apartheid um, sort of rallies and marches. And what she did was she went over and joined some people there who were doing that. Um, one day when she was traveling to Cape Town um, to take part in a march, um, some people pulled her out of the car um, on the road, at the side of the road, um, and stabbed her and stoned her to death at the side of the road. It was a gang of black youths who pulled her out of her car um, and, and, and killed her at the side of the road. And four men were convicted of her murder um, as, as the, the police sort of caught them and convicted them. Um, after five years of serving their life sentence, they were released from prison, the four men, um, as part of the, I want to get this right, um, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, um, which was something that was set up to start encouraging more restorative justice in South Africa. So justice that worked for people that, that wasn't just jail time and then people came out and were the same again, but they wanted people to change. Um, so they, they were released as part of this restorative justice program. Um, and Amy's father, Peter, um, when he heard that they were being released from prison, went to meet the four men as they left prison, and he shook their hands, each and every one of them, told them that he'd forgiven them. Um, and while they'd been in prison, um, Peter and his wife had set up um, the Amy Buell um, Foundation Trust, which was um, set up to help empower um, young black youths in the townships in South Africa to make better choices with their lives. Um, and two of the people who had killed Peter's daughter Amy found positions in their foundation working with young people in the townships in Cape Town and working to, to, to bring um, young people into a place where they could make better decisions with their lives. He gave two of them jobs in his foundation. And I just thought that was absolutely incredible. Um, I don't know if I could have done the same. I don't know how I would react if, if I knew that someone had murdered one of my children. I feel like it wouldn't have been the same way. I hope I would, but it feels like it would be a very hard thing to do. And I just think this story is absolutely incredible. No, not only did he support those men when they came out of prison, he forgave them, and then he gave them a purpose for the rest of their lives as well. And that's the kind of rescue that Paul's talking about here for our lives and for the people's lives around us. It's not a rescue and then an abandonment, but it's a rescue and then a rescue with a purpose. And Paul, more than anyone, would have known a rescue with a purpose. When we look back in Acts chapter 8, um, when he was still known as Saul, um, it says this, um, it's talking about um, some of the, the, the Christians in the area, it says, and, and Saul approved of their killing him. It's talking about Stephen. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And yet here's this same man, Paul, having met with Jesus, having been rescued by Jesus, now saying, put your faith in Jesus. The same man who was killing people for believing in Jesus was now actively encouraging, preaching, teaching anywhere that he could telling people to put their faith in Jesus. He was rescued, but he was rescued not just for the sake of being rescued, but for a purpose. Paul was rescued with a purpose. When Jesus died on the cross, he had the victory over sin and death. That means for us today, we need to hear that there's victory for us over anxiety. There's victory for us over fear. There's victory for us over addictions of any kind, from alcohol and drugs to pornography to anything. There is victory for us today. That means today that for us there's victory from eating disorders. 
That means for us today there's victory from bouts of anger and stress and hatred and jealousy. We can have the victory over that because Jesus won that victory on the cross for us already. He wants to rescue us. We just have to invite him into our lives and let him do that. And we're given a purpose once we're rescued too. And it's not just here, it's mentioned in Romans 8, 28, it says this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And then again in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And our purpose that God gives us will look entirely different for each and every one of us. Each of us will be given a different purpose by God. For some of us, um, the purpose will be to travel to different parts of the world and share God's good news with those who haven't heard it. And for others of us, we'll be called to work with people who are living in our very city, who are broken and hurting and who need to hear about the love of Jesus. We've been rescued and now we're charged with taking that same rescue plan to the world and letting people know they've got a purpose, that this isn't the end. There's a purpose on earth and then there's eternal life that follows on from that. We are rescued with a purpose. And finally, Paul brings us in, in his introduction to this final point, that the glory goes to God. Um, Paul, in the introduction to this book, he, he kind of has to justify himself because of what the, the, some of the people have been saying about him, that he doesn't have the authority, that he's not the right person to be telling them what the church is doing. He's had to justify himself in this book. That's why he says things like, um, grace and peace to you um, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm not sent by man. Um, I'm not sent by a man or by man, but I'm sent from Jesus to share this with you. He's, he's claiming his authority and he's telling people that he's the right person. But immediately after he says that, he says this, um, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So as soon as he's told everyone what his authority is, he immediately points people back to Jesus because it's not about Paul. For him, it's not about everyone thinking he's a great guy or that he's a powerful man, or that he's the authority on the Christian church. For him, it's about letting people know the good news and then pointing them straight back to Jesus. He wants to make sure that the spotlight here is being shown, shone on the correct person. Um, when I was going through school and university, I had a, a, a wonderful variety of part-time jobs. Did anyone here have more than three jobs while you were at university? I'm just flaky, obviously, is what's happened here. Um, but I had a variety of jobs, um, and the, the shortest lived of my jobs was a stint that I had as a kitchens and bathroom salesman for B&Q. Um, it lasted exactly three and a half weeks, two of which were training. Um, <laughs> and so we did all the training. I learned how to sell kitchens and bathrooms and work the systems. I got my little orange B&Q penny um, and my orange, um, black and orange B&Q T-shirt that was made of the most sweat like encouraging material you've ever had in your life. Um, so eventually I got on the sales floor and I worked a Saturday and a Sunday. And on the Saturday, um, all I did was I sold somebody a shower tray. Um, on the Sunday, I returned that shower tray because it was the wrong size that I'd sold to him. And then on the Sunday afternoon, I hit an absolute, what we call a walk-on, where somebody comes in like desperate to buy a kitchen or a bathroom for you, in, which, in this case, both a kitchen and a bathroom. So I went through the whole process with them. We ordered this like really expensive kitchen, really expensive bathroom. 
I think it was worth like £10,000 or something like that. Um, and so I was sort of rubbing my hands and dollar signs in the eyes, like looking forward to the commission. And at one point, I wasn't sure what button to press to put the order through. So I called one of the other guys over and I said, do you know what button I press here? And he said, yeah, that one. And so I clicked the button. Done. Sale finished. All went through. Got my paycheck in at the end of the month. No sign of the commission. In fact, it was a week later because that was the end of the month. So no sign of the commission in my paycheck. So I thought there's obviously been a mistake here. Um, I went to my manager, I was like, I sold this bathroom just last week and, and the kitchen as well, and there's no sign of the commission there. And he's, he said, oh, that's because you had a design consultancy. And I said, no, I never had a design consultancy. He was like, yeah, you consulted. We'll not say his real name, but we'll call him Gordon for the purposes of this talk. You consulted Gordon on this sale. And I said, no, I never. Um, I asked him which button to press, um, and so he called Gordon into the office, at which point Gordon lied, um, said that he'd done a whole design consultancy for the sale, um, and the manager then said, well, I have to side with him because he's been here for longer, um, at which point I ashamedly told him where he could stick his job and walked out. He, he tried to search my car on the way out as employee regulations or something like that. I drove off with a bit of my car hanging open um, in sort of um, Dukes of Hazard style, but I was absolutely incensed. He had, point being, <laughs> point being, point being, he'd stole the glory of my moment. I'd sold this amazing sale. I was due the reward for it. And he took it. Um, and it felt really rubbish. Um, and what Paul is saying here is that he wants God to have the glory. Everything that we do in our lives, everything that we um, say, Every person we speak to, every job we undertake should point people towards Jesus. Everything that we do should point people towards Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about um, Scott's little kingdom of greatness where people think that I'm a great guy and you know that talk was really good this morning and, and me taking a whole load of glory and praise for that. We're not to be interested in that. What we are to be interested in is giving God the glory, pointing people back towards him. And in the Bible, it says this. In Psalm 96, it says this. I love this. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. And then again in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Paul calls us, to give all the glory to God because he's so worthy of our adoration and praise. He's so worthy for what he's done in each of our lives. And we want to make sure that what we are doing points people back towards God. It's so easy. It's so easy, believe me, I know this probably as much as everyone, how easy it is to take credit for stuff that you're doing and to make it, um, to, to want to feel like you're doing a good job and to want people to notice you, especially in and around church, to notice the good job you're doing of the thing that you're doing and people to think that you're a great person and all that stuff. I know what that feels like, but what we're being called to is called to give the glory to God. All of it, all of the glory to God. It's not about us. It's not about how good we look, but it's about everything we do, our eating, our sleeping, our drinking, 
All of it points towards God. When people look at our lives, they shouldn't see how great we are, but how great God is in our lives. And that's what we're being called to. So Jesus at the center of all that we do, we've been rescued with a purpose to show others that same rescue plan and to, and to help them find their purpose in God as well. And finally, we're called to give all the glory to God in all that we do. Why don't we stand and we'll pray together?